Hey, this is Brian Koppelman. And this is David Levine. We are the showrunners and co-creators of Billions. And this is... Behind the Billions. Behind the Billions. Where we're going to talk about how we make the show, the decisions we made in terms of uh, what we decided to shoot, how we wrote it. We are going to share the inside skinny on what it's like to make the show. Uh, Dave, I'm sorry I just said inside skinny. You did. I mean, you've set the bar high. We have a lot to provide now. And we will be providing it on Sunday nights right after the show. We'll have guests who are actors on the show will come in and talk to us, people who make cameos on the show. Should we interview crew members too? Well, we're going to talk about some crew members, maybe standout crew members, superstars, crew superstars, if you will. Really psyched to do this, psyched to talk to everybody about the show. Listen in on Sunday nights right after the show airs on Showtime. Have you noticed there hasn't been a complaint so far from the senator? And you know why? Because what the fuck is his driver doing coming out of the high-rises carrying that kind of money? That's what I told the deputy. Yeah, and what did he say? We should mind our own business? Fucking give the man back his money and go the fuck away? Pretty much. Except he said a few things for my benefit, too. Like how I had shit all over him. Like how he was shutting us down the end of this week. The fuck he is. We're done. I go past Friday and I'm buried. He told me that. He's gonna bury you for what? You're doing your fucking job. <laughs> you think the job is gonna save me? You think it's gonna save you? All right, welcome everybody. Way down in the hole. We are now on episode eight, which is called Lessons. Very thoughtful episode title. Although, I don't know about you, Van, but I thought that it could have easily been called Front and Follow. I don't know. Just a, just a thought. Mm. Could have easily been called that as well. So we're going to dive uh, deep into this episode. Got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, you know, more and more connections are being made and also some harsh realities uh, that the police have to accept. And it was almost like everything that we foreshadowed in the last episode, all of it just kind of <laughs> rolled out in this one. That was our way of saying, like, just wait for it, wait for it. And you did not have to wait long for some things to happen. So uh, let's start with our biggest takeaways from this episode. What was yours, Van? This episode has a lot to do with me about humanity. There's a lot there in terms of like, what everybody is grappling with on every side of it. For example, the sort of prologue to the episode is uh, Jimmy McNulty in the uh, the market with his kids and they do the front and follow on Stringer Bell. This is a fantastic scene in The Wire. Jimmy scopes Stringer and his kids know the front and follow tactic that is used to kind of surveil people by law enforcement and see where they're going and the whole deal. One's in the front, one's in the back. Jimmy's kids know that. They do it to Stringer Bell. What happens as a result? He loses them. Yeah, they're both brown hair, one that big, the other about that big, and uh, he's wearing, um, I don't know what the fuck he's wearing. He's, uh... Will Michael and Sean McNulty please report to the offices at the rear of the market? Michael and Sean McNulty. So his obsession cost him very re- in a very real way, his family. Yeah. What he's doing cost him his family. And not just with Jimmy in this in, in this episode, but we're going to see with D'Angelo. We're going to see with Weebay. We're going to see with a lot of different characters whether or not these guys um, are holding on to different strands of who they are. We're going to see some really nasty and ugly parts 
of some characters that we have come to kind of have an affinity for, specifically WeeBay and some of the other members of the Barstale organization uh, in this episode. Just like not who they are in the game, not who they are on the streets or in the police department, but who they are as people. Uh, we're going to see some really ugly things in this episode. It, it's it's cool that you pointed out that scene with McNulty and his, and his kids because I thought that was very indicative of kind of who Jimmy McNulty is. He's somebody who he, uh, and, and Bunk says it later in what I thought was um, one of the best quotes of the episodes. And so we go through best quotes so we can talk about it again. But when Bunk tells him, you're no good for people, man. Hey, Jimmy, you know something? No good for people, man. Jimmy McNulty is, I, I would say you would you could call him a good father, but his recklessness never allows you to know for sure if he's a good father. Like it's reckless to have your children following a notorious drug dealer, even if you're feel like you're in a safe environment because you're at a farmer's market. This is in plain view, and it's really not that big of a deal. And we saw the same thing in a previous episode when he uh, had Omar when he took him to the morgue and his kids are in the car with him. And so they kind of have to go through that experience where Jimmy McNulty cannot help but be reckless, especially in situations where he has no business being this reckless. Because once he gets obsessed with something, then nothing else matters to him. He is a by any means necessary type of dude. And if catching Stringer, learning more about Stringer, getting his license plate means making his kids become a part to his foolishness, he's like, I'm good with that. Uh, as I mentioned yeah. at the I'll say something about. Can sure. I say something about that real quick? I would say, and this is a very important distinction for people to make all the time, and I've made this distinction to family members and to friends sometimes. He's not a good father. He's a loving father. And those two things are different. That is different. Right? A, a, a loving father is someone who, whenever around you, he's tender. He might be emotionally there. He loves his children because newsflash, they got they got fathers out there who don't love their kids. That's a fact. Um, a, a good father is someone who always protects and puts his family, his children above whatever he's doing at all times. And there's just not any evidence to say that McNulty did that. Like, he doesn't think that he's putting his kids in harm's way, but that's because he lives his life in harm's way. So what he should probably think about is not what's harm's way for Jimmy McNulty, but what is, in fact, harm's way for his children. That is being a good father. He's definitely a loving father. I think he learns what being a good father is throughout the course of the show. Well, and even when it terms, comes to... Like, it's not always about exposing your kids to physical danger. He's exposing or rather he's kind of crashing their in innocence at his will is that they're in the car with Omar again in the previous episode, the strange man who's kind of menacing. And, you know, that's like bringing a different character into their world. Now they're following somebody. They know their father does something dangerous, that he's a police officer. And now they're following a drug dealer. And they may not know all the details, but just knowing that this is the kind of world that exists in a way kind of compromises uh, their innocence. And so yeah. it was kind of the perfect, it was the most McNulty shit to do is to get his kids to Word. participate in this surveillance of Stringer. Um, I, I thought, as I said at the top, it was really interesting that this is called, that this uh, was called Lessons, even though I joked about it could be called Front and Follow. It was appropriate that this was called Lessons because it's so many people that get schooled in this in ways that, 
um, you know, frankly, have really lasting and drastic, uh, um, you know, kind of consequences. I mean, Daniels get schooled about like how shit really works when you start fucking with people above your pay grade. Orlando learns a harsh lesson about trying to um, undercut the hand that feeds him. Um, D'Angelo, who it's amazing how many parallels he has to Wallace, even though um, as we continue to see Wallace is getting in deeper and deeper into some, you know, really he already is in dangerous territory. He gets even deeper into that territory, but it seems like D'Angelo is just as unaware as Wallace as to the real consequences of this game. Even though to him, he's just haphazardly mentioning to, you know, Weebay and everybody else and stink him in the crew when they're out eating about how Orlando approached him about getting a little extra money. I don't know why he wasn't bright enough to understand that you do realize that you are undercutting your own uncle. So how do you think he's going to react to that? And seeing uh, when he saw Orlando and things were kind of awkward, him realizing or maybe he didn't fully realize or understand like why he would be acting that awkwardly uh, told him toward him. And we have a literal lesson. Um, and when we get to best scenes, we'll dive deeper into this of seeing how, and, and this was kind of a theme in the wire is that there was a lot of, you know, not just potential, but there's a lot of instances where you see that under the right circumstances in a different environment, um, born into a different life, how people really would have been something. So you have, you know, Wallace trying to school one of the youngins, one of the kids that is living, you know, with him uh, or, or trying to help him with his math uh, homework. You work in the ground stash, 20 tall picks. Two fiends come up to you and ask for two each. Another one cops three. Then Bodie hands you off 10 more. But some white guy rolls up in the car, waves you down and pays for eight. How many vials you got left? 15. How the fuck you able to keep the count right? You're not able to do the book problem here. And you see just in how Wallace gets him to think about the problem differently that, man, maybe if this kid grows up in another neighborhood, has different parents, different life, you know, he might have been a fucking genius. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, mm -hmm. Masterpiece says you, this. They say I could have been a chemist the way I work a triple beam. You know what I mean? It, it, like there these it is. Skill, the, like, like these, you know, obviously, uh, shout out to Ghetto D and what Master P was talking about using this triple beam for. Um, but it, it, you're talking about the difference between functional intelligence and societal intelligence. Functional intelligence means can you figure it out? Can you synthesize the information to figure out the problem? Societal intelligence means what you do with that. And it's not as if these guys aren't smart. They are lending their skills and their intelligence to the industry that has been presented to them. Right. And if we presented them with different industries to be a part of or if those things were readily available, who knows what they would be doing? And there's a term called capitalization. And capitalization means the amount that society is getting out of every citizen that we have. And there are all types of different organizations that are attempting to identify kids that are growing up uh, in depressed and strained circumstances and make sure that we're getting the genius out of these kids for the benefit of society um, that we should be. Because one thing that, you know, you can uh, underline theme in this in, 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 in this series and, you know, all over when you're talking about you know, like inner cities or, or or neighborhoods that don't have the resources that they need is that society is a better place if everyone is participating. If everyone is participating, we have a better chance to get great doctors, great lawyers, great accountants, great barbers, great whomever, great like. And so you when you see that this kid can get the problem, but it, but not unless 
you put it in the framework of the drug trade, you understand he is smart. He's just literally doing what most people are do, which is what they're told. Right. And what is told. And he's also doing what he needs to survive. And so right. he knows, as he indicates, which which knowing which problem is more, um, you know, more leans on his own uh, survivor or contingent upon his own survival. So um, those are some of our biggest takeaways. Uh, and just to give people a recap of some of the things that happened in lessons in episode eight, as we just talked about, McNulty uses his kids to tell Stringer and he just continues to dive deeper into who into who Stringer Bell really is. And he discovers <laughs> and trust me, when that Stringer Bell fuckboy alert moment comes, oh man, it's going to be epic, okay? Yeah, sure. And he discovers that Stringer is drug dealer by night and community college student by day. Not only does he enjoy <laughs> lovely vegetables from the farmer's market, he also enjoys taking some coursework in macroeconomics. Kima and Carver, they bust Davis's driver, who you just met in the day-day in the previous episode, with a bag full of cash that he got from the high-rises. But the cops are forced to return the cash because politics, because city government, because cops, because politics. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a whole lot goes on where Daniels, like McNulty, sees his fate play out right in front of him. His whole career flashes before his eyes because of his decision to take this to Burrell, who again takes it higher up the the ladder. And next thing you know, Daniels, this career that he has worked so hard to protect, he realizes Magus is fucking cooked because of this particular bus, because this case in general. Uh Omar Pops Thinkum, uh another mm-hmm. major part of this. And D'Angelo has a come to Jesus with a meeting with Wallace and Chardine has a come to Jesus meeting with him. (laughs) And we see that shit go up in flames um, based off uh, some things, uh, some very, as you pointed out, you know, earlier that there's some real um, ugliness in people that you see. And D'Angelo, even though he's always known the Barksdale crew to be grimy, to be ugly, he knows they commit murders, but the lack of, basic humanity he witnessed from Weebay Stinkum from everybody who little man who's at that party celebrating um, Stinkum getting points on the package rising up the ranks in the Bar- Barksdale organization he sees a different level of ugliness from him that is kind of I mean he's throughout he's kind of questioning why he's a part of this and um, what's he doing and where's his life going but that incident of when the young lady dies and they could give less than a fuck at Stinkum's party kind of really becomes a turning point for him in terms of how he thinks of what his role is in this organization and what he's actually a part of. Um, So all of this unfolds in lessons, but we chose to do um, a deep dive. Uh, We know that Stringer Bell was kind of on a platter for us to do a deep dive in, but Mm -hmm. we'll get to Stringer. We have so many opportunities to deal with Stringer Bell. For now, it just made too much sense to deal with Weebay. Weebay, isn't it? I don't know if you found this, but when you ask people their favorite characters in The Wire, okay, there's some usual suspects, but there is a huge number of people where Weebay is their favorite character, which... Rewatching this now for my third for the third time, I have zero sympathy for Weebay. I understand Weebay, but I have like no sympathy for him whatsoever. Mm. Uh, I do. Um, this is a tough episode to be a Weebay fan um, because of 
of of of how Weebay uh sort of reacts to the girl um passing away at the party. But I I do and I'll tell you why. I think that um Weebay, first of all, is a mass murderer. So let's start let's there. Let's just just get okay, it on out so, there. <laughs> so let, let's start there. Weebay is a mass murderer, uh, but he's a mass murderer in the way that a soldier is a mass murderer, right? Weebay is, um, and this is not to in any way impugn our men and women in service because what they're doing, they're doing for an honorable, an honorable end. They're protecting freedom. They're going out there and fighting. They're putting their lives on the, their, their life on the line. Having said that, if you look at somebody that uh, has killed a bunch of people, killed dozens of people, um, Chris Kyle, the American sniper, or, or or someone to that to that degree, killing a human being is killing a human being, uh, and they're you know unfortunately in the grand scheme of things in society. Uh, society deems that there's there are right reasons to kill people, and then there are wrong reasons to kill people. Um, but what we can't get away from is killing people does something to you. It changes you. When you delete their soul, you delete a little bit of yours too. And anyone who's been involved in anything like that, they'll tell you that. Um, so whereas what we see from Weebay. Uh, uh, a lot is that we see the other parts of who he is. We see the strong parts. We see him soldiering up. We see him adhering to the rules. We see a whole bunch of things that prior to this episode uh, were in a way commendable. It's commendable for people to stick to a code. It's commendable for people to follow rules. It's commendable for people to continuously teach and try to guide other people who are wayward in the right way to do things. But the other part of Weebay is that he's been killing people for a long time. And because he's been killing people for a long time, uh, it's almost weird for us as an audience to think that he would care about an accidental death, that he would care um, about a death that, that happens just because. Remember, it's earlier in this episode that we realized that he killed one of Avon's girlfriends because she was going to go and tell. She said she was going to go and tell, even if she was or if she wasn't. So Weebay Bryce is a likable character because unfortunately in this world that we live in, there are a lot of likable killers. There are a lot of people who kill and do uh, abhorrent things that if you hang around with them and just play the game with them, like you'll have fun with them. You'll be cool with them. They got bright smiles. Uh, they say funny stuff, um, but as far as who he is, uh, he's a, he hurts people for a living. Weebay Bryce, that's what he does. He hurts people for a living, be it people who um, have run afoul of Avon within the game or run afoul of Avon outside of the game. That same code that we talk about as far as Omar is concerned. I want everyone to remember something about the character of Omar. Omar doesn't adhere to a street code. Omar adheres to his own code. Because remember, if Omar cared about a street code, you wouldn't see Omar working with the police. You know, if Omar cared about a street code, Omar probably wouldn't be openly gay. Omar has his own code. 
uh, WeBase code is mission accomplishment. And so when when you see that and you know, I, I, I look at them and I look at after what happened at the party, and I think not only in a little way, I'm sorry for WeBay in a little way because his function in the group has meant a lot of his humanity is gone and where he was going to end up uh, is probably the only place that he could have ended up. Well, it's interesting because like I know people who um, people who are veteran wire viewers, they've often when we get to like season four and five and we get introduced to a new batch of characters of younger characters and um, people have often made the connections between, oh, this is just somebody evolving into being this person or, you know, a lot of people have said like Michael, for example, was evolving into Omar, um, who we'll meet later on in season four. But I wonder in terms of who this person could be or at least wanted to be, was Bodhi had uh, was Bodhi supposed to be Weebay? You know, because they seem very similar to me. I have a little bit more sympathy for Bodhi because Bodhi's younger. And while we don't see a whole lot of humanity from Bodhi either, you catch, I think you get some, like when we find out a few episodes ago that his mother was turned out on drugs and that had a lot to do with why he turned out the, the way that he did. And, you know, his grandmother and the fact that we learn uh, his first name is Preston. Like there are little elements Weebay doesn't have a whole lot of human moments and I more or less put him in the bucket of robot killer enforcer <laughs> as opposed to somebody that I'm trying to, um, you know, and maybe not necessarily relate to, but trying to say, okay, I could, I could, I could get a little or give him a little bit of compassion about this. And it's like, nah, not really because he is, he does adhere to the street code, which clearly you know, WeeBay believes in. And the one thing I will say about him, he's terribly consistent. Like there is no surprises with this dude. Like there is no evolution in him. He is completely consistent with who he is. And maybe on that level, that deserves a certain amount of, of, of recognition. But he, to him, killing somebody who is a rival of Avon and having a girl overdose in his bed are literally the same thing. There is no difference to him. Like they both did having to kill one of Avon's girlfriend girlfriends is no different to him than having to kill Omar. Like that's not there. There's no, he makes, there's no gray areas with WeeBay. either you with us or you're against us. He is the human. Um, he is the human form that, you know, how those memes, if such and such were this like WeeBay's face, if get down or lay down, were a person is WeeBay. Yeah, but exactly. And the question then becomes, I mean, you, you look into the, the situations that created someone, the question then becomes like, you know, for WeeBay, this is his family. This is his function. Who would you kill for your family? You know what I mean? Like, if people are relying on WeeBay to do his job, then there's a way to look at it from the standpoint that he is doing it out of love in a way. He's doing it out of love for the people that probably provided him with the family structure, for the people that provide his people with something. To, these are people that, um, that, that, that look out for him. And probably when he was in those moments, uh, like Bodie was, you know, Bodie didn't get the same consistency out of his organization that Weebay did. When he was in those moments, the most consistent thing in Weebay's life probably wasn't a dad or a mom or a caretaker or a foster parent. It probably was Avon and Stringer. They probably gave him 
the most stability, the most companionship, uh, the most order. Um, and then once that happens, you can take anyone um, and, and make them corruptible. Uh, so I'm not making any excuses for the guy. Uh, I'm not making any excuses for the character. But what I am saying is that the lesson to take away from Weebay Bryce is that anyone, anyone can be turned into something grotesque if the grotesque is normalized. Anybody. Like, you don't, you're not, you're not born looking for somebody to kill. You're not born looking for somebody to hurt. Um, but anybody can be told that you have to kill or hurt someone to protect what it is that you love or to protect what it is um, that you that you rely on. The, the one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, when, when Weebay and Stinkum, when they roll up on uh, Omar's uh, house and, um, you know, where he lays his head and they burn his van and they're looking through his stuff, they're having fun. Like, it's fun for them. It's right. like the 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 hunt part of it, uh, it, it, it's 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 fun. They're going through his stuff. It's fun. Burning the van is fun. Messing up Omar's stuff is fun. All of that stuff uh, is actually fun for them. Yeah, murdering so, his partner that was actually something that was fun. fun. Yeah, that was that that was something that looks like they had a good time doing. So there are parts of WeeBay that are dead, but you know later on in the series we're gonna find out that there are parts of him that either come back alive or remain very much alive. Oh, it's fascinating because he is one of the few people, a few characters on this show who is not upset at the hand that he was dealt. I mean, and by that, I mean that, you know, there's a lot of tension. You know, you have McNulty who is forever upset about how this job does not, um, take care of him or how this job doesn't care about him. Weebay is not upset about the normal pitfalls or or what is a po- possible pitfall for the game. Like he's not afraid to die. So in his mind, he's just like, you know, if I got to meet my end some kind of way, that's just what this game is. And Bodie's is it, different with him and Bodie, even though I feel like Weebay is probably what Bodie, you know, strive to be on some level. Um, more so than uh, Avon, like Bodie wanted to always be a lieutenant. Like he wanted to be a trusted, like you can rely on me. I'm about this game. He had a religious belief in the game. He was a fanatic about the game. Weebay is not necessarily that, but he is one of the few people who is okay with the outcome of whatever. And also one of the few people who understands and plays the hell out of his role. And he doesn't, aspire to be Avon he ain't trying to be Stringer he's just trying he's totally comfortable being Weebay and I can see from that standpoint of why so many people tend to respect his character because he um he's all right getting uh getting rebounds and playing defense um diving on the floor for loose balls like Weebay's all about that life he'd be the perfect six man he'd be Lou Williams he is Lou Williams that is Weebay you know you think so I think he's like a because he. I mean, he even though the score. I mean, Lou Williams is a hell of a score. He's a Lou Williams just in the sense of Lou Williams embraced six manness the way nobody embraces him and Jamal Crawford. Like for a lot of guys are like 
you know, they would find it insulting to be a six man or they're a six man that wants to be something better than that. They want to be, um, you know, the, the, the top score in the league. They want to be a starter. They want to be that. Mm-mm. These are two guys who embrace that role. And because of that, they got more acclaim for embracing the role as opposed to maybe what they might have gotten had they been, you know, a normal starter. So from that standpoint, I'm, he ain't got their offense. Okay? I feel you. You know who I think he is? I think Webay is Patrick Beverly. Interesting. I'll tell you why why I think he's Patrick Beverly. Number one, he does the dirty work. He likes doing the dirty work. He embraces doing the dirty work, right? And inside of the ecosystem, everybody loves him. But if you took a look from the outside looking in, everybody hates him. You'd hate him. Yeah. (laughs) You'd hate him. You'd fucking despise them. Like, we're inside the wire ecosystem, right? And so we see all the nooks and the crannies. We're like almost on the wire team. So if you're on the wire team, you love WeeBay, most likely. But if you're from the outside looking in, just looking at what WeeBay has to do for the Barksdales to win, you hate them. I met Patrick Beverly one time at Delilah. The dude couldn't have been nicer. That was hard for me. Because, like, it, like, you know, Pat Bev was a cool guy. Cool guy. Couldn't have been nicer. That was very difficult for me because, God damn it, there's nobody who I hate more watching play basketball <laughs> you, than Patrick You needed Beverly. him to be an asshole to you so you I, could I, justify I, your I, hatred. I wanted Pat Beverly to be like, hey, out of my face, broke. Like, well, no, nah, no. Nah. He wasn't. All right, man, appreciate you. Blah, blah, blah. This is a nice, nice, great, like a good dude. Like, it, it, you know, at least in the time that I met him. So I'd say Weebay was kind of, Kind of in that vein, in that, uh, you know, he's a starter. He's out there, a very important player. But, you know, uh, if you, in the hierarchy of the starters, he's not Paul George. He's not Kawhi. But he is a guy that they lean heavily on to get the job. He's a glue guy. He's a glue guy. He's a glue guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe in that respect that maybe a Dennis Rodman comparison might be worthwhile Dennis for him Rob- yep, yep, yeah because yep. this is somebody uh, you know dennis Rodman, hella tenacious defender tenacious rebounder did all the dirty work embraced doing the dirty work you know love that that was uh who what defined him as a basketball player everybody hated him except for the people mm-hmm. that were on uh his team and so yeah i mean webay is the webay has a long list of enemies i'm sure and yet Inside that organization, his words carry his words and his actions carry a, a, a lot of weight. Like you never, one thing you never see in the why would we bay, you never see we bay, you never see him disobey, question a single order ever. Mm-mm. You that doesn't happen no. at all because that's not his role. And there's a lot of people who often find themselves into trouble or often get into ridiculous situations just simply by not knowing their role. So. He's the most knowingest role in his cat. <laughs> By the way, I want to do something we haven't done in the We Bay Deep Dive yet. We haven't given props to the actor, uh, Hassan Johnson. We have um, not. Hassan Johnson, who's been acting for a very long time, who, uh, so when I first moved to LA, I lived, um, uh, within my first year uh, of living here, I li- I moved over off uh, Pico and Fairfax. And I have different stories, really, a bit about basically how I've randomly run into different Wire characters. I didn't tell my uh, Wire actors. I didn't tell my Daniel story, uh, but uh, but it, I, I can tell my um, my WeeBay story. I'm 
at my house and down the street, like right there on Point View and Pico, there's a 7-Eleven. And the 7-Eleven was, you know, it's one of the sketchier places. It was, it's not sketchy, but it's like, you know, outside of the 7-Eleven have some cash because you're going to be giving out some cash before you get in there. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like 7-Eleven situation. And I'm leaving and I see this dude walk in and I go, oh shit. Oh my God. It's WeeBay. And I couldn't, I couldn't conjure his name, right? I couldn't conjure his name. So he's walking into the door. You know that the thing that you do where like you hold the door for people and now yeah. they got to wait. Yep. Uh, they got to speed up or wait for you, which is actually not, it's actually kind of rude when you think about it to make somebody run faster to get through the door because right. you're holding Just it. Just so you whatever. can feel good about yourself. Just so you can feel good about yourself and you're a gentleman. Uh, I like, I was doing that for him. So he, he like, he comes in and he passes me. And I, I, at first I nod and then I'm staring him down. And I think he knows I know him from the wire and I know that I know him from the wire, but I can't say his name, so I don't know what to do. And then at the last moment, I go, yo, we bay Bryce. And he and then he whips around like, what's up, fam? What's up? How you doing, fam? Like, what's up, fam? Oh, fam? You, you cool? You good? You good? And I told him all about how much I love the show and all of that stuff like that. Just a random at a 7-Eleven, I ran into him, man. He couldn't have been a sweeter guy. If you guys are looking to Van Lathan to tell you about times that I met celebrities and they were assholes, you're not going to get very many cases because most of the people that I've met have actually been pretty great guys and he was a great guy and too. That's good and to know. And the character. fact that he embraces that this is a character that he's known for because there, as you notice, Van, there are some celebrities that don't embrace that, that they, you know, they want to move past the characters and I, I understand it could get annoying sometimes for people to just be hollering your character name as opposed to knowing your real name. So that was cool that this is also why the show, This is also why the show was still on the air though. So this is like oh. 2006 or 2007. So maybe if, and shout out to Hassan, um, maybe if I was to call him Weebay now, it might be different. <laughs> it might be different. <laughs> but, 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 but nah, then he was very, very cool, man. Yeah, which is, which was, which I'm sure like great validation for them because um, one thing that is prevalent when you read uh, All the Pieces Matter, the Jonathan Abrams book, so pretty much all of them thought this show was going to be canceled. After, mm. after the pilot, after a few episodes, after the first season, like they spent... They didn't even they weren't even aware because uh, by the pilot, by the time the pilot aired, they were already like six, seven episodes in in terms of filming. And they weren't even aware how people were reacting to it. They're like, is this good? Are we you know, because it seems so different that they didn't know that people actually liked it. And so um, I'm sure at that point, because this series was always on the verge of being canceled, of not coming back. You saying that probably was like, oh, shit, people are watching. They are getting it. They do understand what it is. So that meant a lot. But. Yeah, I mean, we may, whatever bit of humanity that he had, I mean, you you do see a couple bits and pieces, even in this. Just the fact that Weebay was laughing at any point in this episode, because when they all go out to eat, and then Weebay has the thing where he's trying the, the hot sauce, and, uh, you know, he's like, basically, I he said, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a, a very telling quote that he had when he said, the trick is not to give a fuck. Right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that is kind of how he lives his life. No fucks given. That is Weebay all day. And so um, but he it's amazing, despite the fact, as you appropriately called it, that he's a serial killer, that he really does get a lot of love from uh, Wire fans. I think it has a lot to do with uh, the consistency of who he is. 
Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's called TV Concierge. It's only available on Spotify. These are 12 to 15 minute mini podcasts that review the latest TV shows streaming on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO, Showtime, FX, Apple TV, wherever else. We'll preview new shows that are launching. We'll break down the biggest shows that just launched. We'll review the biggest binge watch seasons that drop as they happen. It's our new TV concierge podcast from the Ringer Podcast Network. Think of it like a little bit of a playlist. Pick and choose the ones you want to listen to. It's available only on Spotify. All right, let's go over uh, some best scenes. Um, For me, uh, maybe number uh, one or one A, however, uh, I I refuse to choose. But McNulty going to rescue Bunk is... Oh, my God. (laughs) Bunk, wake up. What are you doing? Hey, Jimmy. What are you doing? Wear your fucking clothes. Come on, man. No, no. What do you burn your clothes for, man? Yeah, all right. Yeah, hair, fibers, and pussy on it. Or trace evidence. Mm -hmm. You smell pussy? I don't smell no pussy no more. Shit, I think y'all could just take my ass home. Trace lab ain't gonna have shit on the bunk. That shit. No fucking fucking case for our detective. Where are your fucking shoes, man? Ma'am, you seen his shoes? You mean that person is not going to take my shoes? It's so classic on a lot of levels. I have never been as drunk where I wanted to light my clothes on fire. But that is what Bunk picking up a a woman uh, at the bar... And again, we talked about this the last episode. Jimmy McNul- yeah. Jimmy McNulty is is judging McNulty. Like he mm-hmm. is judging Bug for engaging in shenanigans that he did on a routine basis when he was married and seems to be somewhat offended that Bug would ask him to come rescue him, ask him to lie for him um, first, you know, so that he could spend more time wooing this woman that he meets in the bar. But that is some drunk logic shit is that I don't want to smell like sex. So the way I don't smell like sex is that I light my clothes on fire. I mean, it kind of <laughs> makes a weird kind of sense. Like true, better what, to what, have almost what, lit yourself on fire than possibly get caught cheating. Well, what you going to go home in, Buck? Like <laughs> that's what Jimmy asked him. Yeah, Buck, come on, man. But that is a great scene. What else? Like, you got other ones that you love from the um, episode? And uh, we, we talked to, uh, about this uh, a moment ago. Wallace, when he he helps the youngin with the math, and mm-hmm. by the way, I had to rewind that a couple of times because I wanted to make sure I was like, "Shit, do I know the right answer?" Because because yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, two people in a car," and I thought that scene was not only a great way to show how potential is kind of being wasted. You know that 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 among the many things that you learn about, you know, David Simon and Ed Burns taking us through this journey on the wire is, yeah, you learn how systems have failed people. You learn um, a a lot about the awfulness of people. You learn a a little bit about hope, but you also learn that one of the byproducts to this awfulness of what's happening in cities like Baltimore is that there's a lot of young people whose lives could have gone in a completely different direction, a productive direction, if they were just given the tools. And it, it was a good reminder about testing right because we've all grown up having to take SAT tests ACT tests we had the MEEP test when I was in Michigan the proficiency exams and those testings 
those tests and those problems, they're so unrelatable to the kids who are actually taking the test. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of a, a very subtle way to make a, sta- a statement about the cultural um, inequality that these tests and these that these uh, the educational system presents to children. So I thought that was um, a really, really great scene. Yeah. So the scenes that I love from the episode, obviously the front and follow scene sets the tone for the episode. Um, uh, uh, one scene that I really enjoyed was Avon intimidating Orlando, and the reason why we, I we love know that, how you feel about Orlando. <laughs> I have, number one, I, I, I hate Orlando. Like, looks like he went to Claire's and bought all the fake jewelry that they have there and put it on, and you know, thinking that he's suave or something like that. Um, but it's it's a way that we we rarely ever see Avon. We see Avon frustrated in in, in the series. We see Avon uh, perturbed in the series, but Avon is not the character with rage and intimidation. We typically do not see that from Avon Barksdale. And in that scene where, you know, obviously he's heard now because D let it slip uh, in the, when they were in the pit beef place um, that, that Orlando came up to him with a move. I got a move we might could do. I got a move we might could do. That's how he said it. Hey, hey D, I got a move we might could do. And so the move that he might uh, could do uh, got his might could ass kicked by <laughs> Avon. And and uh, I thought that was a scene that just kind of showed that there is rage inside of Avon. Isn't he's not the he's not the cool as the other side of the pillow every single time. There's a gangster that had to do a lot of gangster shit to get to the gangster moment uh, that he is in. But another great scene is obviously Omar stalking and then killing Stinkum. Cause even that, like that little, hey now, boom, just a fucking fantastic television fuck? scene. Hey now, it's the angel of death. Right. Like, like, like you know what I mean? I mean, like seriously. Hey now, your time on earth is over. Look up, bam. You know, knowing that Omar had stalked them and waited on them and got there early, it just kind of shows you the skill of Omar Little. But the best scene is the, the the math problem scene, and I'll tell you why. The, the The reason why the math problem scene is the best scene is because it shows you the last time we saw uh, Wallace interacting with the kids, how was the interaction? It was Wallace that was waking them up. It was Wallace that was telling them to do their schoolwork. It was Wallace that was making sure that they ate. Wallace was the man of the house. He was the responsible one that they knew that they could go to answers for, which is why this kid is bringing a book of problems to Wallace and figuring that he would have the answers. But he doesn't have the answers anymore. He doesn't have the answers anymore at the outset. and He's he's annoyed by it because drugs have taken hold. Life has taken hold. It's not that Wallace doesn't want to be there for the kid anymore. It's that problems and addiction and poverty and all of these things, they are wedges between people and the people that they love. They're wedges between people and human connection. They're these gigantic boulders between people and all the other things that they want out of life. Wallace had been exhibiting his love and his care for these kids on a daily basis. And now what he's trying to do is get into a little powder 
to take him away from that world. And when he removes himself from that world, it's not just him taking himself away. He's absent for a lot of people who need him. Um, and, And that's a big deal. So when I see that scene, I think to myself, damn, when they lost Wallace, uh, to addiction, think about how much those kids lost. And Wallace's absence is felt not only by them, but it's being felt at the pit, it's being felt by Bodie, it's being felt by uh, 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 by Poot, it's being felt by everyone because he's chosen to escape. And in his escape, he leaves a void, even though he was only 14 years old. No, and even how they physically sort of made you feel his decline because most of up until that point, the majority of times we've seen Wallace, hair was always braided. This scene is like everywhere. Like he's yeah. clearly not taking care of himself anymore. And as you just pointed out um, so eloquently, he's not taking care of the kids uh, either. And that they're kind of lost, you know, without him because they're watching him uh, sort of lose himself, uh, lose himself rather. Now, I mean, from a on a, a smaller level, uh, <laughs> I thought it was um, a, a funny scene rather is when Herc, and Carver are studying for the sergeant's exam. And again, <laughs> civil civil lawsuit wanted to, they never failed as this a point. Right? And I, I see that it is totally bothering Carver. It's like here, he's taking this shit all serious. He's like, you know, I'm going to study something. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to rise up these ranks. And he just asks Herc a basic question about sexual harassment. And he gives the most Herc-like response that you can possibly imagine. Shit, I'm going to bust him because he's tapping into my property. And I was like, okay, Herc. Right. And I thought Stinkum's celebration party was a really good scene just because what it did show is, okay, for all these rules and this code that Avon has tried to establish, he's established street code and he's established his own set of rules in order he feels like to be a successful organization. It's kind of interesting that the moment they get the tiniest of breaks from that, how much they just completely throw all those rules out the window. You got stink of getting high. You got all these girls. Somebody winds up dead. Like they are. I mean, I know it was supposed to be a moment where they were blowing off some steam. It was just kind of amazing how easy it was for them to kind of leave all that by the wayside, which only was an indication to me that even though they know they're in this grown up world, that this is a world that's stressful for them. Like that, yeah. W- yeah, I mean, it's extremely stressful because yeah. they're worried about their own personal safety. They're worried about, you know, um, uh, somebody else coming after them, doing right by the organization. Like there's no, they know there's no loyalty in this. And so it was their opportunity to take a time out. And it's just, it's funny how, um, you know, they just kind of willingly just like, all right, it's time for us to just like disobey everything that Avon <laughs> said mm. we're supposed to be thinking about. Some of my favorite quotes when Daniel said to McNulty, You think the job is going to save me? You think it's going to save you? Again, he's trying to drive home. Like, McNulty continually needs to be reminded, hey, you think this is going to be here? It won't. Um, Stinkum, I thought, gave a good, what could be an eventual title, uh, autobiography title for uh, a lot of people, um, Drunked Out and Fucked Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like somebody's autobiography. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. There you go. Charlie Sheen's biography. There you go. Drunk out and fucked out. My Uh, memoir with the tiger's blood. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel's dropping a bar when he says to his wife. You follow the drugs, you get a drug case. You start following the money, you don't know where you're going. 
And something tells me that you probably have uh, written in your notes probably what is maybe the quote of the Wire series in total, um, the best quote. Do you have that in your notes? I'm guessing that you it's, do. It's the only quote. It's the that only quote that to. matters. It's the quote that sums up not just the wire, but any situation where you're thinking about taking a risk. Come at the king. You best not miss. Hey, yo, lesson here, babe. You come at the king. You best not miss. That's on the basketball court. That's in the boardroom. That's on the street. That's at your local pub or eatery. Meaning if you're going to go to the restaurant and you're going to try to eat the, 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 the you're going to try their eating challenge. If they got a, Hey, we want you to eat five slabs of beef and then the whole meal is free. Don't try it unless you can do it. Cause you're going to end up in the hospital. If you miss, if you come at the King, you best not miss be prepared for the ramifications of that big risk. You want to take whatever it is, especially if that risk is a person, if that, if the King is the King for a reason. Now, obviously if it's the French revolution, maybe it's, he's an easy King to take down kids. Go do your history. Not all of these monarchs were the strongest guys in the world. Some of them lost their kingdoms for a reason. But if the king is a king that struggled to get his throne, if the king is a king that had to kill other kings, if the king is battle-tested, whatever you're up against, if someone has gotten what they got because they've been through, quote-unquote, no pun intended, the ringer of things, if that's well the done. reason... If that's the reason why they're king, when you're coming for them, don't fuck up because there's a reason why they are where they are and there's a reason why you are for you are. Be prepared. You don't want these problems. And overall, this series is about people who come at different kings, whether it be kings politically, whether it be kings socioeconomically, whether it be kings on the street, whether it be kings uh, financially, people who want certain things, they want to test certain kingdoms. And what the show does is it shows us what happens when you test those things. If you miss, you either die or you get obscurity. And that's kind of what Omar is saying there. Omar didn't just wake up one day and became Omar. Omar put in the work. Mm-hmm. And unless you and unless you put the work in too, stay out of his way. I got that quote. Of course, that's the that's the best quote. That's the that's the best quote of the series, don't you think? Of the series, Timmy. yeah. That's the best quote of the series. Uh, uh, J- Jimmy, you're no good for people. What Bunk tells McNulty, I mean McNulty's going to hear that from a bunch of different people. Everybody's going to tell McNulty that, and he's going to make the same forlorn lorn face every time they say it, and then never do anything about it. Never do it right. And, he never addresses right, this. <laughs> right. Like every time someone says, Jimmy, you know, everything that you do, you mess up everybody. Jimmy always looks like someone killed his cat, and then he goes out and does the exact same stuff over and over again. Um, so, uh, like, the, those to me were the ones that stick out. And just very simply, hey now, I love that hey now, bro. Yeah. Uh, hey now, boom. And then and then uh, uh, Stinker went on in 
Uh, but 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 yeah, so I, I think those are the kind of the quotes that that stick out for me. And very rarely in a show do you get a gold plated 24 carry wire quote, and that's what you come at the king. It's in our trailer. Yeah, it's it's on our trailer, so that that that's one of the best ones. It, it's amazing too that that comes and and again, remember this is we're in season one. It, that we are eight eight episodes into this, and you get the quote of the series, the the quote that defines this series in, in so many ways. Um, man, you might as well get comfortable because I got about five pages of Stringer Bell fuckboyness that I can Let's go through. This. Let's um, do it. Stringer Bell fuck Bell fuck boy alert. This is this is supreme Stringer Bell fuckboyness throughout this entire episode. Let's just start with the farmer's market. Farmer's market. Stringer don't deserve fresh vegetables. He don't, he don't deserve oh that. God. Fresh poultry. No, he'll, he'll oh get that. Lord. He'll deserve to have fresh things. And, you know, that's just him lording himself. Once again, he is such an elitist with his fuckboyness. It's oh, my un- God. You're <laughs> so biased. I am. You, you, you're I so care. biased. You don't want this brother to look at his build. Of course, no. he eats healthy. No, you don't want this brother he, he to probably, eat probably healthy. Probably does protein shakes too. Probably, wow. probably does keto once a year. That's who Stringer Bell is. Keto. Wow. That's him all wow. day. Yeah, I'm coming <laughs> for the throat on this one. But ultimately, because McNulty d- discovers that he is attending community college, suddenly everything makes so much sense about why this dude thinks that because he taken. Three courses that's probably totaling the $200. Why he is, thinks he's so much fucking smarter than everybody else. Because he learned about shit like elastic products. Which he tries to lecture his printing staff. The, the three of them dudes look like they wouldn't know elastic product from an elastic waistband. They don't know shit about elastic, right? But here's Stringer Bell trying to school them about what an elastic product is. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me, man? You can't yeah. defend this shit. I can't. <laughs> I just want all the kids so that that watching or might see this clip when it gets posted. Uh, Jamel Hill is telling you that an, an, a mind is a perfectly good thing to waste. <laughs> oh, I'm not uh, telling you that. Uh, Jam- Jamel Hill's takeaway is that we can't better ourselves. Okay, remember those United Negro College Fund commercials where the dad <laughs> say, "Bro, say, man, <laughs> hold on, y'all don't remember these, yo, oh God." Back in the 80s and the 90s, there were these like really depressing United Negro College Fund commercials where a dad is looking at his son in the crib and the dad has all of these dreams for his son. First of all, it couldn't have been a daughter because we don't have dreams for those. But like, but like a dad is looking at his son in the crib and he's thinking to himself, I can't wait. He's going to be this. He's going to be that. And then it comes up about, you know, going to college for black people and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, it flashes forward and that dad is now at the door watching his son look into a crib where there's a baby and his son is saying the same thing. And you know why that happened? Because they never went to college. And then it comes up and it says, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I'm, as a kid, watching these like, God damn, I know I need to take my ass to college. So I don't, so my dad is not looking over me all forlorn going, my son ain't shit. And after all of that programming, you know those commercials, don't you? I do. I remember them well. After all of that programming, how could you look at Stringer and have a problem with him? Stringer Bell just doesn't want to one day uh, propagate this cyclical nature of not being educated. He's bettering himself. 
Those commercials obviously didn't work on you, Jamel. No, you think that's a mind not what is it a is. great thing I don't to waste. mind that Stringer is bettering himself. What I mind about Stringer Bill is that he's a fucking know-it-all. That's what I mind about Stringer Bell. And he's constantly, which is why he's taking these new terms, like a prisoner that just got out of jail and had read the dictionary while in jail. He's taking his new terms that he learned at school and tried to come over to the 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 game come over to real life and use these terms like he got a fucking clue what any of this shit really means wow. i'm like are you kidding me he's constantly Whoa. lording himself over people with what he knows and he comes up with continually flawed plans for it to be number two or one a in charge however you want to put it case in point it's him that is telling avon we need to relax. We shouldn't go after Omar. We should just chill, lay up in the cut. Like, yo, I know you learning all uh, about elastic products and whatnot and inflatable markets. I just made that shit up. I don't even know if it's true. I got a two point in macroeconomics. So don't listen to me. <laughs> the whole point is that he's trying. Avon understands the game that he is. Stringer does not. And that could not have born out any better throughout the course of this series is that while yes i understand him trying to somewhat as he makes different forays to try to legitimize or to try to um put their their enterprise if you want to call it that on a more um on a path that's a little more um stable i get that i understand that part of it that's trying to better the organization but he thinks he is better than everybody including avon that's mm. why he's a fuckboy. <laughs> last thing I'm going to say, he was trying to change the game. This is why I have respect for Stringer <laughs> Bell. He was, it's not that he didn't believe in the game. He wasn't trying to play the game. He was trying to change the game. He was saying we could have something lasting. Jamil, you, 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 like, I'm telling you, this Stringer thing, like, I, I, you know, listen, like, you're, I, 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 I don't very much use the term coastal elitist but <laughs> I'm a coastal elitist <laughs> now, that's what all we right. got from this I'm a coastal elitist <laughs> alright whatever farmer's uh, market whatever he only went to that shit cause somebody probably told him like you know it's cool the oh farmer's market Stringer. somebody in his community class probably told him about the farmer's market fresh mm. fruit I'll be damned anyway mm. <laughs> that is of yeah. course to, to uh, hell with him for wanting antioxidants that's right Right. Damn you. All right. <laughs> um, uh, that being said, he, him, and Avon, I think, have a pretty big file this away for later moment. Um, yeah. Throughout, yeah, throughout the course of the series, they've generally been on the same page. And with the Omar thing, we see they are not really on the same page. And it's a look that Avon gives Stringer, um, a look of it's not mistrust, but just a look of are you fucking serious? And you see. There, I mean, this is kind of the maybe the first indication where you see they are starting to have differing philosophies about how to deal with problems. So that's something that people should um, file this away for later. I mean, of course, my favorite maybe file this away for later moment of this um, particular episode: Lester meeting Chardine. My favorite. Mm. <laughs> it's my favorite file this away later moment. <laughs> mm. What do you got on file this away for later? D'Angelo Barcelona, his reaction to the brutality of the organization. Once he realizes that the girl has passed away, he looks over at, 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 at Weebay and he, and he, he goes, Bay. And then Bay kind of looks back at him. What that does to D'Angelo 
this is the first time when he's in the conversation with Chardine about it uh, that you actually hear him say, I don't know if this is for me. This game, this thing with my uncle, might not be right for me, I'm thinking. Why you say that? Nothing good to it but the money. Sounds a lot like my job. I mean, you got people using each other, scamming each other, cutting each other up because they laid on a bill, shooting folks because might be a fucking dollar in it. I mean, get to some time like I, I can't even fucking breathe. Like I can't even get no air. That over the next uh, whatever amount of time, that push-pull of whether or not D'Angelo is going to be out whether or not D'Angelo is going to be in is going to be a very central, central piece of the plot uh, to the survival um, of the Barksdale organization, whether or not um, they can trust that D'Angelo is in or that D'Angelo is out. So that's a huge father's away for a later moment. And another one. Obviously, I had the wartime disagreement between Avon and Stringer, uh, but I think Weebe in there, um, and then you got uh, and, and D and the D thing is going to be just a huge, huge deal in terms of 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 of, of the Barcelona organization itself. In terms of what aged the best, it was a it was a small moment, but I hope people caught it. And I love to sometimes torture this particular fan group just for my own, you know, perverse thrills. But when we bay after they've been partying all night, yeah, you already know what I'm gonna say. They've yep. been partying all night, and he's laying there in that in that chair and he's like look at this the Knicks done fucked up their draft again yo y'all send me out for liquor and by the time I get back the shit is dead look at this the Knicks done fucked up their draft again that's what they call evergreen tweet yep <laughs> it's evergreen that, that aged the best out of anything that has ever aged well that's a McAllen right there we're gonna start ranking these that's right. a McCall that's a McAllen 105 that that's smooth going down, baby. No, uh, like like that. That's a that age. So the Knicks, look at this. The Knicks did fuck they draft up. I didn't again. know what he's talking about. I was like, I didn't bother to look up the year. I'm like, yep, it probably yep. happened. Yeah, the Knicks <laughs> and it's gonna the keep Knicks, happening, <laughs> and it's gonna keep happening. So that I have that one written down for sure. That for that's that's an easy that's what money. age. That's money. Yeah. Now, in terms of what age the worst? Speaking headbands. of hmm? headbands. Headbands did not do so well, huh? Yeah, I, I watch everybody on this uh, on this thing. I'm sick of the headband usage. I'm looking, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking all around. I don't know why we were wearing these. I know I cut you off. I'm sorry. I have to get no. this off my chest. I don't know what made us probably spurned by Bow Wow and Nelly and some of the other people just wear athletic equipment like while we was going different places. Mm. Like, and then the headband craze caught on in the NBA where now it kind of still exists, but it's like the the kung fu joint that some people have, but I even get the headband if you're on the court, I guess kinda. But we was wearing headbands everywhere. I had headbands that I would wear like this. I had headbands I would wear to the side. Headbands the I used side to wear. Is head, the, the side was terrible. I used to wear a headband like the little band right there, like Jordan used to wear. So the, what age the worst? This was a headband heavy episode. What age the worst? Well, you, you know what your your headbands is my white tees. Because every time mm. I see those long white tees, like Poot has one that basically, you know, that might as well uh, be a ballroom gown. It's so damn yeah. long. Yeah, those uh -huh. white tees did not necessarily age well. But I'm going to tell you what aged the worst. Black folks being in the baseball. 
that aged the worst. Because when Daniel Ooh. says to uh, to Day Day to Clay Davis's driver, because he's 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 of course he's referencing when they're previously met, and you had a bunch of black people sitting around watching a baseball game, and I was like, damn, that shit didn't age well. Because we definitely don't do that anymore. I definitely at all. As a matter of fact, it, 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 that might have been a time that they dropped the ball in. It might have been already over. Right. Like, it, it, like I mean, to 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 be honest with you. Well, we, we talk about 2002, 2001. You know, I can't really speak to what's going down at Camden Yards in Baltimore and stuff like that. Uh, but I was an alien in my crew for caring about baseball growing up. But if you think about the time, it is 2002. The home run chase with McGuire had been in late what, 90s, though. Late 90s. Yeah, it was so over. So it, it, it was over, but yeah. there was still a little bit of residual whatever because that was the peak so but it it i mean yeah you, that like, shit didn't age good <laughs> like i was like too right me talking about baseball why <laughs> right now right now like i call the homies up and i say something about mike trout they probably gonna think it's a sub sandwich from out of baltimore they don't know they They're don't more likely they have, to make that connection they more like yeah like what's you want a mike trout subs no nah, they no one knows mike trout literally all jokes aside i could take mike trout right now Right now, I could take him down the way to the Crenshaw District and walk around with Mike Trout and people would be like, yo, why van down here with the police? That's exactly what they would say. <laughs> that's, exact, that's exactly what they would say. So, yeah, that definitely aged But why you bullshitting? You could take him to the Grove and nobody would know. They would be like, why is Van here with his probation officer? So Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like... And they wouldn't know who he was there either. Right. Shout out to Mike Trout, best player of his generation. So Best player of his generation. Yeah. Barry Bonds broke the record in 2001. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess it's, it's worth us mentioning. Yeah, it's worth us mentioning, though. I mean, we were talking about black fans and baseball. Is that ah, the show? this show came out in 02. And um, you assume they have been obviously writing this show. And 01 is when Barry Bonds broke the single season mm. home run record. So maybe it was. You're right. Maybe it was. Maybe, maybe it didn't age. It, it still aged poorly because black people are it, totally it still not aged, into baseball. It still, yeah, it still that aged just poorly. goes to prove your point. Yeah, That's sure. right. But uh, at the time, maybe their interest in it made a little more sense based off the scenes that we saw. Any uh, We Love This Show but moments for you? Hmm. Uh, the uh, the closest one for me, you know, we love this show, but for me is that I have I, I have written down is uh it's something that I guess could happen, but like Bunk burning his clothes, I'm assuming this is not the first time that Bunk has cheated, no. right? Nor and is it so, the first time he's been totally shit faced, right? So Bunk Bunk burning his clothes. The, if you're driving back home, and I'm not saying I know a lot about this, but if you're driving back home and you don't have the clothes on that you wore that no seasoned cheater would ever do something like that. That would have to be my, uh, we love this show, but I, it's a funny scene, but, um, and I know people do crazy things when they're drunk, but it's not, it's not something that I think would actually go down in real life. What about you? Um, maybe not burning the clothes, but I will say this, um, you know, somebody on this podcast, I'm not saying who, and I realize it's just two of us and it's probably not you. <laughs> I know it's not you. Somebody <laughs> accidentally, somebody was so drunk that they walked out of their hotel room totally naked and oh, didn't Jesus. realize they were walking out of their hotel room totally naked. <laughs> and somebody on this podcast has done that on two occasions, not just once, two. 
Uh, so one of which I was drunk, one of which I was not drunk. Oh, yes. we yes. get. I, I, I'm so glad we're getting a, a look at the real Jamel Hill. Know me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad we're getting a look at the. Well, real Well, let me just you. say this: with the one time I wasn't drunk, what happened was I was trying to do too much. Uh, I was. Uh, I had a tray of food I just eaten, and this was actually at the the finals, the LeBron's first finals uh, in Cleveland. I was in Cleveland covering that finals against San Antonio. And unfortunately, having to witness LeBron and the worst finals team I had seen in my lifetime. Um, at any rate, uh, I was trying to put my tray outside my room and um, push it out far enough. And somehow I slipped. The door closed <laughs> behind me. And I was butt ass naked in the hallway. And I had to go to the house phone to... And I just, yeah, I, I will not tell y'all where I was staying because I pray they burn those tapes because you know hotels got cameras everywhere. Whoa, that was bad. And then the, it was, yeah. it was, it was security guys like, yo, man, look at this shit, dog. <laughs> like, she wild, idiot. <laughs> right. She wilding, bro. She crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's and that's, the that's other a good one. Time I was so drunk and disoriented. I had already passed out, but I was so disoriented when I had to wake up to use the bathroom that I went out the wrong door. So I went out the hotel door mm. instead of going into the bathroom. And I'm suddenly out there and I don't know. I finally snapped to and I was like, holy shit, why am I drunk and in a hallway and I have to pee? So this is when I, I don't think me and my uh, husband were engaged then. But imagine uh, getting a knock on the door and when you open the door, it's your drunk girlfriend or fiance totally naked. Well, I mean, what you mean imagine? That's all we imagine. No, what are you talking about? It's not what you imagine when you went to bed with her. And then oh. you're like, why oh. are you in the hallway naked? Uh, oh, yeah. Then that's a horrible. That's the other end of imagination. That's Correct. called dread. Right. Yeah, right. 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 I just I, like, why are you in the hallway? Why are you naked? And what's happening? Uh, and as soon as he opened the door, I was yeah. like, I'll explain tomorrow. And I went and lay down. And I'd be like, yo, because I, I, I'd start thinking. I'd be like, yo, man, is Trey Song staying in this hotel? See what I'm saying? Or like, <laughs> See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? And that was, this is part of the conversation the next day. And he was like, what? Yeah. what? He's like, that doesn't yeah. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. The things you learn. I know. Now people learn. I have a penchant for stepping outside of my hotel room naked. Okay. My we love this show butt moment is that for Jimmy McNulty to be a seasoned detective, for him to be as in the know as he is, for him to understand, especially at this point in the series, how shit rolls downhill. Why the fuck is he always so naive when he finds out how shit works? You know what I'm saying? It's like his... Yeah. When he is jumping into Daniel's shit about the fact that he took it up the ladder about discovering Clay Davis's driver with all this unexplained money and where he was coming from. And he's just seemingly shocked and stunned that this would have major implications into Daniel's career as a law in law enforcement and major implications for their case. Like, why is he surprised? I'm surprised. He's so surprised. He seems to be either willfully naive or he's just so in his own bag that he can't understand that, yes, motherfucker, things have consequences. And I know that's kind of a struggle for him, but it still makes it annoying as fuck that he would be this naive as to how things would go down. So that's my... Yeah, just a, yeah, just a trait of the character. I get what yeah, you're saying. Though. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's sort of like, what? In that reaction, in that, in that instance, why would he, of all people, be surprised? Um... All right, got a little, got uh, two good bits of trivia for you. Um, if you notice, in this episode, Bunk is reading a mystery novel. It is by someone called Laura Lipman. 
uh, Laura Lipman just so happens to be, drumroll please, the wife of David Simon. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Free plug, free plug. <laughs> little, 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 like Jack Black said in School of Rock, little nepotiz. Little nepotiz. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of nepotiz in this because throughout, you will see, throughout the series, you will notice um, people reading books. And usually those books are by people who are in, who are friends of The Wire, if you will. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to give them a little uh, book plug. No Second, problem with it. I love it. Yeah, no problem at all. Second question. Van, do you know Weebay's first name? Uh no, I don't. What's his name? His first name is Roland. Roland oh, Price. Does I Roland like Price sound like a mass murderer? You know what uh, I'm saying? It, no. Does it? But yeah, you know, oh, we got hey, we got two Rolands in this show, and both of them love the chrome. Both <laughs> uh, both of them love to get busy with the chrome. They that love shooting. Yeah. That is true. Uh yeah, Weebay, that is his first name. All right, finally, uh, before we get these good people out of here, who won the episode? Hmm. Uh, this episode was a, like a little harder for me to kind of just kind of come down at, 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 at one particular character that actually won the episode. Uh, but I am probably going to go in this case with D'Angelo. I think it was D'Angelo because I think D'Angelo learned the most in this episode. I think it was uh I think it was D'Angelo who uh who learned the most. If if it was anybody else, for me it would it, it might be Omar, but I don't want to save this uh who won this episode for for Omar because Omar wins so many episodes. But D'Angelo won this episode to me because I, I think he had the starkest realization about um the situation that he was actually in. Uh, yeah. And it, it was him that made the concrete decision about the episode, uh, about what he was actually in. So I think it, I think it was definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, he too. comes to a, a very harsh realization about the company he's really keeping. And right. I, again, these are things I know he suspected of them. He maybe even saw of them. But generally, you can rationalize being with these people if you feel like this is part of the game. These this group of people deserves it. This person deserves it. Like you can you can make that even with um uh, even with William Gant the witness that wound up being killed as much as that hit him, he can still kind of rationalize it and say, well, the dude did go, he did testify in open court. But with this, it's kind of like all this young lady did was show up for a party and she got uh, treated less than human. Um, For me who won the episode, it was a super quick scene, but it's one of the under unintentionally funny ones. Um, No. Who? Pooped. Poot won the episode because ah, he got to be in charge for an hour. Look at me. Look at me. He <laughs> was like the king of all he surveyed. He was right. he, His throne was that raggedy ass couch and he was loving every minute of it in his white tee that was really um, like an ankle length ballroom gown. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Poot mm-hmm. who won this episode because he got to feel like the man even though, um, you know, he's somebody who is mostly about chasing women. And by the way, I love the undercurrent of Poot's uh, sexual procl- proclivities being on these wires. Yeah, I love Because he's all, in case people don't know that, he's always the dude, like, on the wire telling them some shit that they like, oh, shit. So he's mm-hmm. like a snitch and don't even know it. So let me ask you a question real quick. What was Poot eating when he was sitting on the, the couch Right before he gets up, what was he eating? 
Was it McNuggets? It was eating an orange. And you know where he probably got that orange? Shut up. I hate from you. Stringer Bell. Stringer from Bell the probably market. went for, Stringer Bell probably went to the farmer's market and got fresh fruit because he's learning in his community college class just how important vitamins are to being able to have a healthy immune system and, and to be able to work and have energy. And he probably gave an orange to Poot, which gave Poot the confidence, the confidence to take on being the man, all that vitamin C running through his veins. We all need vitamin C right now. And Poots have, he's eating healthy. What no McNuggets probably got that from the example of one Russell Stringer Bell. Oh, antioxidant head ass. Anyway, uh, thank you good people for spending some time with us. Um, as always, keep watching The Wire and keep listening to us. We'll see y'all again next time. <laughs>